First, uh, Matthew 1, cha- uh, chapter 1, 23 says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, or God with us. See, the very first chapter of, of Matthew, the very first chapter, Matthew quotes a, 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 a set of scripture, a set of sayings that had been done by Isaiah. And, and you got to remember, this is, the, this is the New Testament here. There was 400 years of silence, and people had been passing on over and over again. Sooner or later, Emmanuel, God will be with us. A child will be born of a virgin, and God will be with us. Sooner or later, this will happen. See, we're beginning the, 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 the book of Matthew today, and, and we're going to spend who knows how much time in, but, but either way, we're going to be working through the book of Matthew, and, and it's also been coined the, the gospel of Matthew. So I wanted to real quickly talk about there are four gospels. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Matthew was, was the first, first one written that we know of, about 20 to 30 years after Jesus had passed and risen again. Um, and the, the gospel itself is, 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 a, is a word, and as a noun, it means good news. As a verb, it means to bring the good news. So the gospel is, is the teaching or revelation of Jesus Christ. The gospel is essentially everything at once for us. The gospel is our life. In fact, in fact, if we think about it, the gospel itself isn't just some form of religion. The gospel is something that we can't attain or earn. The gospel is something that is, is done and given. It's not some religion of do's and don'ts, although there are plenty of do's and don'ts. And as we work through the book of Matthew, he'll get very practical. As we look at the teachings of Jesus, we'll see many times where he's saying, do this or don't do this. Live this way if you have Christ. You live this way. But again, the gospel itself is, is something, is, is bigger. See, the gospel is, 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 is life-changing. And as Matthew, as Matthew pens this together as he writes this and does this inspired by by God he tells us basically three things is his premise here it's not a chronological order of Jesus' life although you'll get a bunch of his life but he's essentially trying to do three things for us he he is he's speaking to three kinds of people he's speaking to the Jews and he's speaking to he's speaking to um, the Samaritans or the Gentiles or he's speaking to um the, the Christian Jews. And so as he works a long way, which would be all those that believe in Christ. So as he works away, he's, he's tying and weaving in three main key points. For the Jews, it's that Jesus is the true Messiah. He's the Savior. He's the one that we've been talking about and re-quoting Scripture and living for year after year after year, passing down, waiting for. He's the Messiah. And to the Gentiles, he's a king. But he's a king that doesn't just rule over and isolate them from religion, but he brings them in to it. And he's Lord for all of us. I Meaning our life is obedience to him. And so Matthew writes this, 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 this story, the gospel. He writes in this very rhythmic way from story to, to pragmatic to story to pragmatic. It's this incredible rhythmic way as he weaves us through this. And really the hope for this time and the reason why we're wanting to go to this is I feel like never more than ever do we need to continually center ourselves back on Christ. See, I think that, that even as a church, we can, we can slip at times from that. And we get so busy with what we're doing or what we're, what we're about, and we forget that, that it's, it's Jesus that's the center of it. It's the gospel message. It's the good news is why we live. It's how we move. It's how we breathe. The gospel is the point. And so as we spend this time, we, 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 we gotta, we're going to look at Matthew, and we're going to hopefully find that the gospel isn't just a, a life-altering thing, but is a life-changing thing. So I think a lot of us spend a lot of time in our life, when you, whether you've been in the church for a long time, you've been around, you know a lot, or you know nothing about it. We spend a lot of time trying to alter our life. 
We think that when it comes to, oh, we accept Jesus and he just, he'll just alter it a little bit. No, he changes it completely. The gospel makes us a new creation. Jesus changes our life completely. He takes us messed up, broken, disgusting people and makes us new and righteous. And that's not something we can earn or do on our own. It's something he has done and is doing in us. And so, the, the, so Matthew is, you know, the, the point essentially is, is who, and the center and the, the crux of all the Gospels is who is Jesus Christ? Again, in Matthew, and we'll get to this text later on, but in Matthew 16, 16, when Jesus is asking, who do the people say that I am? And they answer, and then, and then he says, well, who do you say that I am? Talking to Peter, one of his disciples. And Peter says, you are the Christ, the one living son, the, the one son of the living God. You are it. So it's, it, Jesus says himself, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. So the gospel of of Matthew is going to push on us continually. Are we founded? Is our foundation on Jesus? Or is it Jesus plus, or this and Jesus? And Matthew's going to push and push and push. And so as we spend time in this, I hope, my hope is, and my prayer is, no matter how long it takes us to get through this, is that that we would would allow the gospel to be what it intended to be in our lives. Not some life-altering step at which we go, but something that changes us and makes us new something that we live by, something that we don't just pretend or talk about, but that we actually truly surrender our lives to and live to this. In fact, I, I think that if we, if we look a little bit more at the author, then we'll understand how this gospel changes us. See, the, the book was written, um, the author is Matthew. We know that. He's one of the 12 apostles of, of Jesus. And, and it was, again, 20, 30 years from him. And Matthew, now, he was a tax collector. Now, this is important for us. A tax collector this time essentially meant that you had enough money and enough organization in your life to go to Rome and say, hey, I want to pay, I want to buy rights as your tax collector. And Rome, Rome uh, uh, kind of overran and, and was running all those people. And so essentially what you did is you paid Rome to have the Roman government or the Roman army at your beck and call. And then what you would do is the Rome, Romans would say, this is how much taxes there are. And so then as a tax collector, Matthew would say, okay, I got my booth, which was probably in Capernaum or near there, which is where the Jordan River came into the Sea of Galilee. Okay, and he was in that. So just so you know where the Jordan River comes into the Sea of Galilee, if you were staring, I guess if you're looking at it right here, whatever, so where, the, where the Jordan River came in, from the Jordan River over, about three miles was, was 90% of Jesus' ministry. Capernaum was the town that was closest. Jesus, or Matthew's booth was either in Capernaum taxing um, the fish that were caught in the Sea of Galilee or right uh, just a couple miles north of Capernaum where he would have been on the inlet to the Jordan and it was a huge travel way, a byway for people going up to Caesarea Philippi. And so he would have been in either one of those two places, but either way, three miles. So everyone kind of knew who he was. Now as a tax collector, you, you, you get told how much taxes there are and then you would say, okay, well, I want to make a little bit for myself. So you'd pad it. And then you'd have your people that worked for you that then would want to make a little extra on top of that, so they'd pat it. And a tax collector would pillage and rape and, and exploit the people. In fact, they were so, so hor- horribly treated, they, they treated people so horribly that they were so disliked, they were completely misplaced. And so here's Matthew, a Jewish person that is not even, he's despised by his own people because he bought his rights into being a part of the Roman government to, to exploit them, to pillage. And this is Matthew. And so Matthew is this messed up person. It was scandalous and offensive that Jesus even asked him to be a disciple. And the fact, just think about that. Here he is, he's ostracized. People, it wasn't like it was a big town and you could kind of sneak around. You knew who everyone was and everyone would have known who Matthew was because he was taxing all of them. 
So he couldn't walk into a town and they wouldn't be like, hey, Matthew, good to see you. It was, it was like, look the other way. Don't make eye contact. This man is a, is a sinner. This man has is, is, is exploited us. All the, the wrongdoings that, are, that, that Rome is doing to us, he's the hands at which they're doing it. So Matthew was this hated person. But at the same time, he was uniquely designed, uniquely, uniquely tailored to working out what he did as a disciple. See, he, to be a tax collector, he had to have scribal, um, an understanding, a scribal technique. So he had to know how to, to keep track. He had to pay attention to little details. So really, he was uniquely set up to be an, an apostle that's walking with Jesus, paying attention to all the little things, taking notes. He was uniquely set up for that. He was incredibly smart. But he was despised. In fact, Matthew was a mess. The other reason why I really, really wanted to go through this book, not just to center on Christ, but is because I think you and I can relate to Matthew. And maybe, hear me out, maybe we aren't tax collectors exploiting and pillaging and, and, and raping, but we're, we're still messed up. We're still people sitting in our own little world in need of Jesus to come by and say, follow me. Follow me. So here's Matthew, one of the 12 disciples, our author of this book, and again, uniquely set up to, 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 to because he's a Jewish descent, he can work at, here's how the Messiah works, and we'll get into the gene- genealogy. So look, Jesus is tied to the lineage of the, di- of, of the King David, and he's, he's also our king, and he's, he's, our, he's our Lord. But he's a mess. And at this time, when Jesus calls him, Jesus has started doing some things. And again, it was a small area. And if you've grown up in a small town, you can understand this. I haven't, so I don't get it. But news travels fast. So Jesus wasn't an, like an unknown person. People were really intrigued by him. At this point, they're still like, what is he, what is he doing? And they were, some, some of the Pharisees and Sadducees were, were a little offended by some of the things he was doing. But they were intrigued by him. So I think, and, and I'm reading this into the text, but if you're Matthew, just put yourself in a spot. This is the author of this book that we're going to spend so much time in. Inspired by God, he, he wrote every word for us here. If you're Matthew, you willfully sold yourself to the Roman Empire so that you could exploit your people. You could exploit them. You could, you could crush them. You could pillage them. No one could stand against you because the Roman army was at your backing. I can't help but think, but maybe, just maybe, at one point or another, he'd be sitting there and going, what have I done? What have I done? You know, he goes to the grocery store, you know, walks down to the coffee shop, and everyone kind of turns away, looks the other direction, ignores him. I can't help but think that maybe, maybe at a point he was, he was enticed by the sexiness of Rome and its glamour and its, its money, and, and maybe he liked it, but, but he wasn't really in Rome. He was in, in, in Israel. He wasn't with, his Roman, with the Roman people he wanted to be. He was, he was in Israel, wrongly dressed, a, a true Jew looking somewhat like a Roman citizen. And I can't help but think that, that he was honestly, maybe after he'd done it, and we don't know necessarily how long he was a tax collector, except that he'd done fairly well, so the assumption is a decent amount of time. But, but I can't help but think that maybe along the years he's like, why am I doing this? And just wanting a way out. But there's no towns close by. He couldn't just leave. He, got, he had this whole setting here. And so, so I can't help but think that maybe when Jesus came by and said, follow me, it wasn't really hard for him to take that tax collector j- jacket off and, yeah, I'm in. Here's finally a rabbi, a teacher that actually wants me, someone that actually wants 
me to be a part of them, to, to, to teach me to walk with them, and he jumped out instantly. I can't help but think that. And I'm reading that into it, and you guys can tell me how off I am later if you want. But, but the other side of that is, see, where Matthew was sitting, there was no way out. There was no way out. See, where Matthew was, there was no way out. There was, there was no life alteration that would make it right. There was no small turn that would change everything. There was nothing that would necessarily bring hope. He was in need of a Savior. He was in need of a Messiah. He was in need of a King, a Lord. Someone who could not just alter his life, but change it. And that's what the gospel is. But you and I, unfortunately, a lot of times in our life, we've made the gospel something very small. Something very little in our life. Something that alters some behaviors something that we sometimes use to justify our own behaviors. But we've made it this small thing. And see, for Matthew, it wasn't small. For Matthew, it couldn't be small because he had no other choice. It was, it was, it was detested and hated for life or follow this guy and, and belong finally. It was pillage and, and, and rape and, and exploit or, or, or serve. And so what Jesus did in, in a moment, and he does this for us today, and we, again, we make this small, and I'll get there in a second, but in a moment, he basically said, Matthew, you are no longer the tax collector. I will rename you as my follower. And for us, we keep the same name, and yeah, okay, I'm a Christian, and sometimes we'll use that, or I'm a disciple of Jesus, or I follow Jesus, however we turn it, or however we say it. But we, we kind of believe it as this thing that makes it so that we can live life just a little bit different. But that's not the gospel. If it's just something we can do a little bit different, it's religion. The gospel is the good news. The gospel is us bringing the good news. The gospel is life-changing. It is, I am no longer this, but I am a new creation. It's not some alteration. It's not some small little life-change moment and, oh, okay, I now, I now dyed my hair and I look different. No, it's, it is complete change. You are completely new in Christ. And what Matthew does is he, as he, lays out the, the genealogy and he lays out all the, the reasons why Jesus is who he says he is. He comes to the foundation of who is the Christ? He's the son of the living God. Okay, if that's who he is and that's the gospel and that's the good news and then when I put my faith and when I believe in that, then I am no longer Bren and all these other things. I am a new creation in Christ. I am righteous not because of what I've done but because of what he's done. I get to live for him, not because of my own strength, but because of him inside of me. See, the gospel changes everything. As we look at Matthew and we think about, we think about who he was, this messy joke of a person that, that had ruined his life, maybe at times he found joy in the money, in the power but like any of you in this room, whether you've, you've followed Christ for a long time or you've been with him for just a short time, any of you know that no matter what you seek in this world, no matter how hard you strive, no matter how awesome it may seem at a moment, it all falls short. It all falls short. It's just altering. It's not changing. It's a, it's a, it's a slight, slight movement, but it's not a complete new creation. And so Matthew gets called to follow Jesus. And again, I... I I think we can relate to Matthew. We can. We're mess-ups. It, it wouldn't take long for, for me, if we were honest, to say, okay, who is, who's messed up in the last week? You'd all raise your hand. If you didn't, you're just a Pharisee. We'll talk about them later. All right? 
It doesn't take long. So we're, we're a mess up in need of Jesus to call us to follow him. And I'm going to read in the story again, and we'll get there in a little bit, and you guys can tell me how wrong I was later. But Matthew 9, 9 is where we actually get the, the picture of Jesus coming up to, to Matthew. Now, he, he also had a name, and we see in Mark and Luke that um, his, it was Levi of, um, of Alphaeus or, or Matthew Levi. There's a couple names that people disagree as whether or not it was Matthew Levi or just Matthew, but we know that the story kind of says the same thing. And so Matthias was probably what it was short for Matthew. I don't know. He's, he's Matthew is what we're going to call him because that's what he calls himself. And anyways, so he has this name and Jesus walks up to him and says, now come follow him. Now, I'm just going to read into this a little bit. So just bear with me. This is my version of it. Now, I don't picture Matthew. Now, it just says, we don't get a lot. It just says he follows him right then. But see, you know, there's a lot of people in this room and there's a lot of people that we spend time with that, that are, are, are holding out on Jesus. They're like, yeah, I'll believe that when. But I can't answer this question. Now, I don't see Matthew coming and sitting as tax collector, you know, and yeah, that'll be way too much money and I've exploited you. Okay, have a great day. And then Jesus walks him and says, follow me. He goes, oh, that sounds like a great proposition, Jesus. Now, can you do me three things first? Tell me about the dinosaurs. You know, what happened with them? I'm just curious, you know, if I'm going to believe you, I got to know what happened to the dinosaurs. Like, just, just settle this right now. Or you know what? I'll follow you when you explain this. This makes more sense now. And now I'll follow you. You know, we get the story. He just stands up and goes. He just does it. Now, I would be foolish to tell you that he understood everything that Jesus was at that moment because he had just seen uh, an idea. He saw a way out, probably. But he followed. And you know what he does? This is, I love this. In Matthew 9, 9, you know what he does? The, next, the very next thing he does, he throws a party for Jesus. Now, I love this because a lot of us, whether we follow Christ for a long time, we're like, well, I haven't been trained in evangelism. And I haven't been trained on how to share Jesus. And Matthew, who was just momentarily collecting and exploiting and pillaging and raping and is now following Jesus, says, oh, hey, tax collector buddies, come on. Come on over. I got to talk to you about this Jesus dude. Now, if you were, if you were just sitting a question, and someone said, okay, so Jesus, uh, tell me now. Now, how does, he, how does his genealogy fit to, uh, to David? Do you think Matthew was like, oh, well, let me tell you. I've got it. He had no idea at that moment. Right? He, hadn't, he had no idea. He didn't know how the, 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 the gospel was going to work. He didn't even know what was coming to fruition. In fact, we know along the way that he doesn't get it quite a bit. But at that moment, he says, you know what? I know what I was. I know who I was. And this guy, I'm following him now. You should follow him too. And so he throws this party. And all the text collectors come. And of course, the Pharisees and Sadducees get all mad because Jesus is hanging out with sinners. But see, Matthew throws a party. Why? Because he didn't see Jesus as some alteration. And maybe he did, and maybe I'm reading into this too far. But because he recognized that Jesus changes everything. Because for him, at that moment, his reality was, I know what I was, and I don't want to be it anymore. And in him, I'm something else. In him, I'm no longer despised. In him, I'm no longer my mistakes. In him, I am something completely new. I am a different person. So Jesus picks Matthew, and Matthew, inspired by God, writes this incredible rhythmic book for us to read, to study, and to spend time, to learn. But before we even get in there, I, I want to know if, if you truly believe that one person or one event could absolutely completely change your life. I want to know if you truly believe that now maybe, maybe you don't, maybe you're not there and you just haven't experienced, that's fine. But if you truly, if I asked at the root of it, do you believe that one thing could change your life? We could come to an instance where something would absolutely change our life. We know that that would be the case. We're told that in the gospel, it changes everything. 
We're told that in Christ we, have, we are a new creation. We're told that in Christ that we are actually something completely different. In fact, we're told that in Christ we're no longer our mistakes and our mess-ups and our, our sin. We're righteous. He renames us. He changes everything about us. And so here's, here's the question I have for you. As we spend time looking at Matthew and, and Jesus' life and trying to f- f- put our foundation on Christ, is, is your life changed by this gospel? This, this, this message that, that is the teaching of Jesus Christ, the work of him, him coming and God making all things new by, by the sacrificing Jesus on a cross for all of our sins, for, for atonement for all of us so that we can be forgiven and have grace. Does that change your life? Are you a new creation? Or are you just living a life-altering move with that in the back pocket? See, I think the reason why we can relate to Matthew is although we're not a tax collector, we're really messed up. And although, although we, we can try really hard at times and maybe do a couple things, all of our righteousness is deemed filthy rags apart from Christ. Although we can do some of that, we know at the core, we know at the bottom of us, and, and you can, whether you believe in Jesus right now or not, you can, you can weed your way back through whatever chaos you've gotten yourself in and recognize at that moment that before Christ, you had no hope. Before Christ, you had no true joy. And maybe some of you are like, but I'm in Christ right now and I, don't, I still feel pretty hopeless and I, I still lack joy. Well, here's, here's the thing, and this is, I think the church has done a really bad job of this. We think that because we meet Jesus or because we believe in Jesus, everything changes in, in our actions and how we live our life. No. I mean, Matthew, like I said, it, was he a, you can argue probably fairly well that at that moment when Jesus said, follow him, was he really a disciple of Jesus? Was he really following him? Get into all sorts of questions about spirit and whatever not, but here's the point. The gospel doesn't just change you once. The gospel makes you a new creation at which you live. I don't get changed in a moment. And yes, I get changed. That's great. And I'm a new creation. But it's not that new creation that I then just go back to the old self. The Apostle Paul talks about this. It's that new creation that becomes day in and day out more and more and more to look like Jesus Christ. So that today in my life and, and 20 years, if God gives me it, I will look more like Christ 20 years from now than I do today. Because I'm working out my salvation by His Spirit inside of me. Because I believe the gospel isn't just some message that's nice and the gospel isn't just something that alters my life a little bit and gives me some peace if, you know, there's an eternity thing. But because the gospel is truly life-changing. Because the gospel is the only thing that brings hope. The gospel is the only thing that makes a difference. And for Matthew, again, he saw it his way out. And I think for you and I, because we're not exploiting or pillaging or raping, we think that our sin isn't that bad. But you've got to recognize sin is separation from God. All sin. All sin. One sin deserves the wrath of God. And he gave that wrath to his son, Jesus Christ, for us, for us, for our sake. So the gospel, it's the good news. And here's the best part. In the middle of that, he says in a verb form, the gospel is we get to bring the good news. God in all his grace invites us to be a process, to be in process with this, invites us to be a part of this. See, we're all messed up, needing God to call us so we can follow Jesus and look more like him at the end. 
So let me ask you a question. What is it for you? If you look at your life, whether you've followed Jesus for a long time or you don't even know who Jesus is, what is it for you that makes you want to push the gospel to not life-changing, but to life-altering? What is it in you where you go, you know what, the gospel, you know, eradicated all this stuff in my life, but there's just this stuff over here that I want to keep holding on to. And I don't really want it to change that because I still feel like I like that. Remember, we, we spent a lot of time in First John and talked about you can only love God or the world. You can't do both. And so Matthew and Jesus are going to hit us really hard, really hard in this, very pragmatically and very big story-like. And that, that, that true, truly living out the gospel changes your life. Some of us forgot just how much of a mess we were before Christ. We've minimized that because we see other people's stories around us like, wow, they're really messed up. And we start minimizing what Jesus has done for us, what Jesus did for you on an individual level. We start missing the whole point of the gospel. See, I think some of us are afraid to throw a party and whatever that party looks like, maybe it's just we're afraid to, 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 to be bold about Jesus with our spouse. Maybe it's that we're just, we're afraid to, to, to be bold about Jesus in our work. And I'm not talking about like you walk up like, hi, I'm, I'm this, I, I know Jesus, and you, you throw it down the throat. Like you, you've got to live life with him. I get that. But, but, but my point is, is that some of us are so afraid that we don't know enough about Jesus or we haven't, we haven't read enough of his word to understand fully what's in here. So I just, I can't be ready to actually share Jesus with them. Again, Matthew was a, one of the lowest forms of people in that, in that time. And that, that day, follow me. Yeah, hey, let's eat dinner at my house. I got some tax collector buddies I want you to meet. So that, this is good news. Matthew, it was good news, and he didn't even know all of it at that point. And yet he wanted to live it. So some of us, it's time for us to make this public. And when I say make this public, it means that when the gospel is in your life, it doesn't alter one form and change others. It changes everything. So for you, it, it needs to change at work. You, you believe in Jesus in, on Sundays and you're like, this is awesome and then Monday starts and your boss is a jerk or you, you don't like it and you just kind of throw the gospel and everything out the window and you allow it to be life-altering Monday through Friday. Some of you are like, yeah, you know, I love the, I love the gospel. It's awesome, but it's, it's life-altering when it comes to my relationships with people. Oh, yeah, I, I love the gospel. I think it's great and it's, it's cool what Jesus did for me, but you know what? It's just going to be life-altering in my marriage and how I parent. So the gospel changes everything. Jesus will say this over and over again. I am the way. We'll see this over and over again. It's either him or nothing. It's hope or no hope. So it's time to make it public. Some of you, you've, we're doing baptisms and just so it's close on the 18th of August. And some of you are, are using an excuse to not be baptized because you, because you believe that you're not good enough to be baptized. Well, let me save you the, the, the end of that story. You're not good enough. That's the point of the gospel. None of us are good enough. But in Christ, we are deemed righteous. Some of you have been walking with God for so long, you're like, you know what, I haven't been baptized, but I don't, I don't know really if I'm supposed to do this. It's an obedience issue for you. Make it public. Some of you have been hiding behind all the things that are wrong or that don't add up or you don't understand in here. I used dinosaurs as a safe example earlier. But some of you are really wrestling with what Jesus says 
about heaven, about hell, about him being the only way sounds way too exclusive. May I just contend with you that as we, if you would just spend some time in Matthew alone, get to know Jesus, you'll realize that your foundation is on him and him alone as Messiah, as King, and as Lord. I was in, I had the privilege of going to Israel and doing biblical study there. And I think it's, it's interesting. This spending time in Israel truly solidified a lot of things for me. It's, it, it was amazing. I highly recommend it. But one of the things that was happening is there's a city that was just found in the 50s called Caesarea by the Sea. We, we know it in the Bible. It's in the, in the Bible times. And there was a, there was a title in that, in, in that area. It was called Pontius Pilate. And that didn't make any sense in the 50s. It didn't make any sense because that would be like Governor Mayor is kind of what that was saying. And so this group of atheists set out and said, you know what? There is no such thing. We don't see historically in any other literature the Pontius Pilate Pilate. We see Pontius and we see Pilate, but we don't see those together. And they, they were arguing this. They said, well, we don't believe it's true. So they set this team and they get this funding in place and they, they say, we believe that if we could just prove that there is no Caesarea by the sea, because it hadn't been found, 50s. It, if we could just believe, 1950, by the way, very recent, okay? If we just prove that there is no Caesarea by the sea, we'll prove that there's no Pontius Pilate and there's about 58 other things that are wrong with the Bible. And that's how they were kind of weaving it that way. And so this atheist-funded group <laughs> sets out to go find Caesarea by the Sea. And guess what? They uncovered Caesarea by the Sea. Thank you to them for that. And here's the best part. As they uncover, they uncover Caesarea by the Sea, which is massive, by the way. And there's huge, like, aqueducts coming in. An amazing thing that the Herod at that time had done. But in the middle of this Caesarea by the Sea is a 13,000-seat auditorium, stone auditorium. And in the very middle, kind of centered where the royal people would sit, is there was, there was a little cutout kind of where like the, the king or whoever at that time or the Pontius Pilate would sit. And there was a massive stone, and this is actually in, a, in the in Museum of Israel right now, massive stone engraved on it, Pontius Pilate, his name. Okay, and so here's, here's what I'm saying. Here's what I'm saying. And this is, this, is, this is free for you. This isn't in Matthew. Some of your issues with the gospel are just that. They're your issues, and they're not really founded on any truth. They're your pride. They're your fear. They're your ignorance getting in the way. See, I think Matthew could have very easily sat in that chair and said, follow me, and said, oh, I don't know. You know, I've done a lot of really bad stuff, and I'll probably do some bad stuff again, and I don't really get the dinosaurs, and I'm not sure about this whole Pontius Pilate thing. And we can make all sorts of excuses to not just stand up and say, you know what? Okay. Okay, I don't get it. It doesn't make sense, but you know what? There's hope here. There's life here. And over here, I've tried it all. And it just keeps falling short. So as we read the gospel... As the band comes up, we're going to sing some more. As we read the Gospel of Matthew, would you be reminded of two things? I, I just, I, my hope, my prayer is in this time, two things. One is that if not founded on the true Christ, you're not founded on anything. I don't know how else to say it. If it's not, if it's not him, it's nothing else. Nothing else will sustain that. Nothing else will, will hold you up. Nothing else will bring hope. Nothing else is worth it. There's a lot of great things. Don't get me wrong. And the second thing is I would challenge you, if you've been with Christ, whether it's your parents' faith or you grew up in the church or you've been going for a long time, I would challenge you to not lose sight of the fact of who you were apart from Christ. You were sin. You were messed up. You were unrighteous. You were deserving of God's wrath. But in Christ, in Christ, you're a new creation. In Christ, he calls you righteous. In Christ, he lavishes grace. See, if we could just spend some time as we look at the gospel and realize that that is truly good news, it's not some, some fake thing, it truly is good news, that it stood the test, it stood, it stood for years and years and years, 
that everything that the Old Testament and all these people have been hoping for, the first book in the New Testament begins with Emmanuel. God is with us. He is born. If we would just truly live in that, I can't help but think that our lives would look substantially different and there would be a lot less life-altering decisions and life-changed decisions. There'd be a lot less of, I love Jesus, sort of, or I want to follow him, kind of, and there'd be a lot different outlook in our life. I, I truly hope, I truly hope as we look at Matthew, I hope that we would, that God would strip us of our pride. He'd strip us of our ignorance. He'd strip us of our, of our selfishness. He'd strip us of our good works. And he'd just center us on him and him alone. And out of that would spring life. Out of that would spring righteousness and, and, and works that actually are, are done in his name and for his glory. We deserve the gospel to be the good news. And the gospel is the good news. But without Jesus, it's, it's, it's nothing. It's nothing but a nice little story that will create some life-altering decisions and, and ultimately end us in a tax booth without hope. In a tax booth wishing we hadn't made those mistakes, wishing we were somewhere else trying to find some kind of significance and stuff and things in this world that will always fall short. Heavenly Father, thank you for the good news and that the good news is not just some myth story, God. Thank you for the good news that is truth. Jesus claims that he is the truth. He is the word. He is the living word, God. Everything that is in this Bible is him. And God, I just thank you for him. God, I pray. I pray that you would refine us like you refine gold or like, like a, a vine truly connected to the, the vine dresser. God, that you'd break away, you'd strip and scrape those things away from us that aren't of you. God, that we would be willing to make our life with you public. Despite where we are, how much we know, but we would know that who we were before you and who we are in you is, is such a beautiful thing, God. God, thank you that you don't give up on us. Thank you that you call us. Thank you that you extend grace to us. I thank you for the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Thank you that time and time again through history, people try and prove where you're wrong and how you aren't there and you just continually reveal yourself as a loving, patient father. God, for those in the room that continue to fight you, that continue to push against you, God, would you just, would you just disarm them? Would you break them? Would you strip them down? And you remind them, and would you show them who they are in you God, may we never lose sight of the gospel. May we never lose sight of the fact that that changes us completely. As we spend time in Matthew, God, I pray that there be a hunger in each of us to spend time in your words, to know more of who you are, to look not just at one scripture in Isaiah that points to you, but, but God, that, that there is just, you are unfold, unfolding this massive story of redemption of your kingdom coming here now on earth as it is in heaven all the way through the text. I thank you, God, that you are sovereign and in control. And I pray, God, you would forgive us for our lack of belief, for minimizing the work of what you did in the gospel, God. And I pray, God, we would just continually rest and remember that you are the God that makes us completely new. You are the God that makes us beautiful. You are the God that changes every single thing about us to be more and more like your son, Jesus Christ. And God, that is where I long to be. And God, may that be where we long to be. May we be a people that truly live out your gospel in all areas of our life. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.